0: So I, uh, not myself, but all of us up here, we talk uh, often about some of the ministries that we support here and that you guys faithfully give each and every month to support. And some of those are overseas missionaries who are doing the Lord's work in other countries and in other uh, societies. And it's really cool when we get to see uh, this list of six or seven names that we support, and it's even better when one of those couples is here with us on Sunday morning. So this morning, I want to welcome up Ben and Jeannie Beckner, who serve faithfully the Lord in France. Uh, so let's give them a warm welcome this morning.
1: Good morning, everybody. We are Ben and Jeannie Beckner, and whether you know it or not, we have been a part of your church for almost 40 years. We come back here regularly once or twice every decade to check in with you and to give a report. And you have seen our family grow up. We came here first in 1983, 84, when we were starting out as a young missionary couple candidate with one baby. Joel, and Ben was part of a series of conferences called the Round Robin Conferences that traveled up the West Coast, Oregon and Washington, and we came here to Dallas, and your church took on our support in 1984. In 1984, in July, we went out to Belgium with an eight-month-old baby. Uh, We didn't know what we were getting into. We thought we were gonna do church planting for the rest of our lives, which we did for two terms but ended up doing something completely different afterwards. But we want to thank you for all of these years, almost 40 years that you have supported us, our ministry, and our family in Belgium and in France. And actually, we will tell you how you're supporting us as well in the realms beyond, in Eastern Europe in particular. This is our theme. This is our goal, our ministry, our motivation. Our vision statement, mobilizing French, it should be French speaking churches, really, and believers for local, global, and cross cultural mission. This has been our mantra over all of these years in many different ways and forms. And um, we are just so pleased and thankful to be able to tell you a little bit about what we have been up to, especially these last four years. Um, Thank you so much for your. Worship this morning, when we come back to the States, which isn't that often, uh, we always are surprised by the new songs that we hear. And so there were two this morning at least that I did not know. And we're at the end of this home assignment. You are actually our last church on this uh, nine month home assignment that we are having. It's our first one in the United States for more than two months at a time since 2009, 2010. So it it was about time. We uh, are involved in several different ministry platforms. Um, We are with our sending an uh, agency is called International Messengers, and it's uh, located in Clear Lake, uh, Iowa. It's a faith mission which has a lot of uh, Evangelical Free Church support. Uh, We were with the Evangelical Free Church mission for 25 years, and 12 years ago we stepped out of that and came into this smaller mission, International Messengers, which was a better fit for us. Our training platform is the International um, Bible Bible Institute of Geneva, and Ben will be speaking to you a little bit more about that. Then we also have a French nonprofit organization called French Without Borders, or Français Sans Frontières in French, uh, which uses the teaching and the training of French believers in cross-cultural ministry uh, by the use of the teaching the French language, Um, and Ben will talk a lot more about that. But we just want to thank you so much for your support, for your encouragement. You were one of the few churches when they were still setting out um, church newsletters that would send to us overseas your church newsletters. So we were always able to find out what was going on here and follow the names of people uh, that we knew. And now we get your news uh, via the Internet on, on the uh, weekly um, sending that you, you do for us. We also want to thank you for your generosity. Every year, you do a missionary—I um, don't know—special offering at Christmas time, and we have been the very fortunate recipients of this very thoughtful and gift every single year. And we thank you so much. That has made a huge difference for us and what we've been able to do in using that money, both for our family, but also to help other people. So thank you so much for your generosity and your, th- your thoughtfulness to us.
0: Uh, do I need to turn this on? Can you hear me? <laughs> yes, uh, thank you, Jeannie. Uh, things, uh, the plans have ch- changed a little bit since uh, just before the service began. Uh, the format has changed a little bit. The slides have changed a little bit. So we're gonna do a little bit of ad-libbing this morning. Uh, but uh, at any rate, I wanted to start out uh, before, getting into the nitty-gritty of what we do as missionaries, and in particular, our involvement in Ukraine and with Ukrainian refugees since the beginning of this war uh, in February of last year. Just a a verse uh, from Matthew chapter 24. It's it's near the end of that gospel. And it's one of these verses where Jesus summarizes uh, his own teaching and his own practice. And this is what all of this means in this one little verse, in uh, chapter 24, verse 14, where he said, and this gospel, that is the gospel that he's been teaching and living throughout the story of the gospel of Matthew, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole inhabited earth as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And we see in this verse uh, the message, we see in this verse the mission that Christ has given all of his children, all of his believers, all of his local churches, and we see in the end what our true motivation should be in being involved with this mission. So very briefly, what is this message and this gospel of the kingdom. Jesus is very precise. It's not any other gospel. It's this gospel that we find in our scriptures, in those four gospels, and in the way the apostles lived and taught and understood the meaning of uh, the words and acts of Jesus. And so, and this gospel of the kingdom, I don't know what you think about when you think of gospel. You probably think of good news. And good news can only be good if there's bad news. And so, uh, we believe in both of those things. There is some really bad news for the human race apart from Christ. But in Christ, there's some incredibly good news, even though we still live with evil and sin and destruction uh, and war and rumors of war and, and all kinds of evil things. We live with this, but we know that God's plan is one day to bring this all to an end. We wish it already happened. The Jews wished that it had already happened uh, when Christ had come and Messiah had come and they actually expected evil to be overcome and sin to be chased away uh, when Messiah came and they were somewhat disappointed that that apparently didn't happen and we're still living uh, cohabiting this earth with sin and evil and destruction and suffering etc. The good news is that in the midst of all this, as we await Christ's return, when he will overturn these things, we can actually enter into his kingdom. An invisible kingdom, but a true and a real kingdom. Not only do we enter into his kingdom, but the kingdom comes into us and inhabits us and our churches through the Holy Spirit. This is great news. It's not the end. Judgment has not yet come. Christ was very clear when he taught his disciples, and sometimes in the presence of of Pharisees and other Jewish leaders, he was very clear that he had not come at this time, at that time, to judge. He had come to save. And to, to be a ransom, to serve as a ransom for all of humanity that would come to him. And so that's what Jesus came to That's what he's doing to this day. And we have the tremendous uh, privilege of being uh, the carriers of his gospel, uh, of this good, good news, all the time knowing one day judgment will come. And so uh, this is the wonderful message that he has given us. And what is the mission? He's very clear in this verse. Well, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed. Now, in other verses, we see that who's going to do that proclaiming? Well, it's the disciples who were to become apostles, those who believed in Christ through their testimony, and those who believe, would, would believe in Christ in, throughout the history of the church in this age of the Holy Spirit. Uh, all of us are witnesses, and we've been called to be witnesses, and we've been enabled to become witnesses through uh, our experience of God's grace and the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. And so this message will be proclaimed. Where? Throughout the whole inhabited earth. That's still going on. And there's been a lot of progress in the last two centuries, and especially since the Second World War. The gospel going to places that it has never been before since uh, Christ uh, ascended into heaven and gave us this mission. It will be proclaimed throughout the whole inhabited earth as a testimony to all peoples, to all nations, to all ethnic groups, to all linguistic groups. All the groupings that exist in humanity and on the earth will be reached. Gospel will be preached to all these uh, groups. And many of these groups have actually disappeared in history. And uh, we are still commanded to go to the end of the earth, to every people group, to every uh, linguistic group uh, with this gospel. That is our mission. And then the end will come. And those fra- That phrase scares a lot of people. Uh, the end. The end sounds really ominous and dangerous and like we don't want to go there. But as believers, we know what Christ meant by the end. It's really The end is, is actually the beginning. The beginning of life in Christ on the new earth and um, uh, gathered as, as God's people where there will be no more suffering. There will be no more crying and there will be joy in the presence of God. And that is what will come after this end, end of evil, end of the dominance of Satan and evil on this earth. And so... This is a glorious message. I just wanted to make a little reminder of that this morning, uh, Matthew 24:14. And I think uh, our next uh, slide, uh, I'm not sure at what, how, how the pastor had, what order he put our slides in, so that's why I'm saying we're going to ad-lib a little bit. Jeannie, um, would you like to talk about this?
1: Our conviction throughout all of these years of doing many, many different things is summed up in this quote by uh, Charles Van Ingen, who was a missiologist and a teacher and has been uh, an important influence in our lives and especially in Ben's. As local congregations are built up to reach out in mission to the world, they will become in fact what they already are by faith. God's missionary people. So that would mean that you, faith, church here in Dallas, you are God's missionary people as you seek to live and work out your faith in practical areas here in your town and in the surrounding areas and in the world beyond by those that you support and encourage to go elsewhere. I already talked about our platforms, which we are using in France, French Without Borders, the Bible Institute of Geneva, but then there's also our local church. Uh, Four years, almost five years ago, we decided to move from the Lyon area, where we'd been living for almost 25 years, down to southern France to a very, Probably the poorest area of France, it sounds really glamorous because it's right on the Mediterranean down by the Spanish border, but it's a very poor area, Uh, has a lot of unemployment, Uh, there's a huge brain drain with all the kids that leave and don't come back, very little jobs other than in the tourism industry, which is pretty fickle, and there's a very large sedentary gypsy population which lives in the city where we decided to go to called Perpignan. So um, we chose a church, sight unseen. There are only 12 churches, evangelical churches, in the city of almost 150,000 people. And so we had a pretty limited choice and walked in the front door of this little Baptist church and realized that the pastor who was there we had known by name for years in Lyon and never met. And here he is in this little Baptist church in Perpignan. And so uh, I'll I'll talk a little bit more about how we've been involved in this local church during the last Mm -hmm. four years.
0: Yes, yeah, so the next slide, right, is the Bible Institute. And this is where I have been teaching missions since uh, the last 10 years, since uh, 2013. And uh, this is our beautiful building. This is sort of a photograph that's been uh, transformed to look more like a painting. This is our actual building. It's over 100 years old. We just finished remodeling uh, the whole outside, the roof has been replaced. And it's located at the very highest point of the city of Geneva in Switzerland. At that time when it was built, it was sort of uh, out in the country, uh, overlooking Lake Geneva, overlooking the little town of Geneva. Uh, Now it happens to be incorporated in Geneva and is right across the street from the World Economic Forum. The World Economic Forum is that organization that every year organizes the Davos uh, gathering in Davos, Switzerland, in the Alps uh, of Switzerland, in the mountains of Switzerland, uh, that brings together all representatives from all the wealthy nations on planet Earth to talk about what they can do with their wealth. Uh, in principle, what they could do to help uh, poor countries and to improve the quality of life for human beings. So this, this organization is right across the street from our Bible Institute. They've even made some offers of many tens of millions of euros to buy our property, uh, which we can't and won't do. Uh, But um, we we do accept to park their cars in our driveway, and we get a lot of money for doing that, because they don't have enough parking uh, in their facility. So the Bible Institute was founded to uh, train pastors and missionaries with the world wars. Uh, the evangelical population in Europe was decimated. The institutions, many of them closed. A lot of local churches that had been planted over the previous 70, 80, 100 years, many of them disappeared. And it's only been in recent years that evangelicals in Europe have recouped their numbers, their uh, dynamism, uh, the the numbers of training institutions. And uh, so things have really taken off in the years since we began planting churches in Belgium in the 1980s. Now, at that time, all the new churches were planted by uh, missionaries, and many of them from Anglo-Saxon or English-speaking countries uh, like Canada, New Zealand, Australia, uh, the the United Kingdom and the United States. Uh, Many uh, of the church planting missionaries were from those countries. Today, Almost 100% of new churches planted in our country of France, but also in Belgium and in Switzerland are planted by Europeans. And uh, and this is a tremendous uh, sign of the health of the evangelical movement uh, in Europe and in France. Uh, On the other hand, missions is something that in the last 15 years we've really focused on how do we help uh, Europeans get involved once again in world cross-cultural mission like they were in the 1900s. The French, uh, the Brits, uh, the Germans were all involved with the Americans in world mission in the 1900s with great effect. And unfortunately, once again, with the World Wars, uh, a lot of this missionary uh, activity and vision disappeared. And so our vision has been how can we help the churches in Europe, once again, especially the French-speaking congregations, once again become involved and excited about mission. And this is happening. In 2017, with uh, my my dear friend Pierre, who is now doing his PhD in missiology in Quebec, which is in Canada, French-speaking Canada, we uh, launched, he was director of our mission at that time, and had been for many years, And uh, he invited me to come teach at the Bible Institute, but in his mind, he hadn't told me this, in his mind the real goal was to relaunch a missionary training program uh, along with the training of church planters and the training of pastors of existing churches. And so in 2017, I'd been teaching there for four or five years, we actually launched, uh, relaunched uh, a missionary training program that had existed before the World Wars and came into existence one again. And every once again, uh, uh, without going into all the details, we've had a, quite a bit of success. We praise the Lord for the numbers of students who are coming now to the IBG, we call it the GBI, Geneva Bible Institute, in order to train to become missionaries to the ends of the earth. And so we're very pleased. Here is an example. I don't have all my students up here. Some of them I've not even put their pictures because they're in very sensitive places here in Tunisia. But these are some of my students that I interact with on a weekly basis. Uh, Because they are so far away, all of our training is done distance for the third and fourth years of their training. And so would ask you just to pray about these different some of these are of African origin, but they were born and raised in France, they're going back to some of their countries where their parents and ancestors came from, this time as Europeans, as French-speaking and French-trained Europeans, but to bring the gospel and help grow the church uh, in different places such as the Democratic Republic of the Congo, where my wife uh, spent her junior high and high school years as her her parents were missionaries uh, to that country. So it's a tremendous privilege to have students in Brazil, even in french speaking Canada, in Tunisia, in uh, Laos. there's a very difficult country for emissions in all of these countries in Africa, and on these islands, which you 've never heard of before, probably, uh, the Comores, the Comorian Islands, and mayotte, their french uh, uh, French territories, and Madagascar and so um, so we're very pleased and would ask you to pray for this movement that is is g- gaining steam and becoming more and more indigenous and less and less in need of missionaries to launch it and to train the first generation of missionaries. Go to the next slide here. Uh, this is our nonprofit organization, which uh, we launched in, uh, in about 20 years ago now uh, when we were living and working in Lyon, France, second largest city of France. And uh, to be very brief, uh, French Without Borders, Francais Sans Frontières, that's the F-S-F, French Without Borders, uh, it was designed to bring um, Christians, French-speaking Christians, uh, to other countries, to other cultures, to get an idea of what it's like to communicate in a different context, uh, with other lang- using other languages, um, etc. And the idea was to uh, encourage more and more Christians to consider going into world mission. And so in the last uh, 20 years, we've organized over 75 um, outreach French camps and activities, in with, mostly with universities uh, all from all over Europe. And we started really in Russia in 2004, and then began working also with Russians and Ukrainians, and we did that on the, the, on the Crimean Peninsula that you see right here, the Crimea that was taken over by Russia in 2014. But up until that time, we had done many uh, outreach French camps all around that peninsula, and developed a lot of friends and a lot of partners in the universities both in Russia and Ukraine. So that's sort of an introduction to... Uh, what's going on now, we'll get to in just uh, a, a, a few minutes. Uh, these are the different places where we've continued to work, Tunisia and North Africa being uh, sort of a new uh, idea. Uh, but Tunisia, they, the, the, young, the young people learn French at school. They have to know French to go to university. And so uh, we go down there and, and, and teach French. And this gives us opportunities to develop relationships between French believers and uh, in this case, Muslims of one sort or another, but very, very open uh, to French people and to dialogue and discourse, and we uh, have really seen a lot of fruit uh, from these, these missions. I would ask you to pray for our ongoing uh, missions. This summer, for the very first time, uh, because we cannot do our missions in Ukraine at this time because of the war, uh, we're going to do them in Romania. And right at the border between Moldova, one of Europe's uh, poorest countries, and Ukraine. And uh, so we're just now, we have new partners in a city called Suchava in northeastern Romania. Uh, And uh, we're working together to do two outreach French camps. Uh, The first one for Ukrainian refugees and for Ukrainians who will actually come out of Ukraine from our partner universities, get away from the war for a few weeks, and join us in Romania in the mountains uh, for a retreat and for working on their French and for developing friendships that we hope will bring fruit for the kingdom uh, in the days, weeks, and years to come. So I ask you to pray for that one right there in particular. We will also have students from Moldova, which is under threat from Russia. There's a little sliver of Moldova called Transnistria, and uh, they claim to be what's left of the Soviet Union, I've been there several times you'd be amazed to see it's like stepping back into history about 50 years and uh, and so they're very communist uh, but we know some believers there and there is a Russian military presence there and that is the threat at this particular time would ask you to pray for Moldova already a poor country this is the last thing that they need like Ukraine is to have an occupier come with all the destruction that has taken place in Ukraine. I appreciate your prayers for that. Uh, shall we go to the next slide here? Right, this was our last camp in Ukraine, as you see, before the war began. Some of you may recognize this name, Kurson, because it was a lot in the news uh, a couple months ago. Kherson is in the south. It's on the, 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 the Dnieper River, a very large river that flows from Chernobyl. You know that name, from Chernobyl all the way down uh, Ukraine to the Black Sea, and at the very bottom is sort of a delta, sort of like the Mississippi Delta, but this is the the, the, the Dnieper Delta. And uh, we did uh, for the first time. We had done a lot of camps in Ukraine on the Black Sea, but also in the Carpathian Mountains. For the very first time, we were able to use a, a, a training center, a missionary, a Ukrainian missionary training center. This gives you an idea that the Ukrainian church is very much alive. Perhaps one of the most uh, alive churches of evangelical churches in all of Europe. And this is the country whose existence is being threatened. And I would say this just very briefly, but you say, what is at risk for us uh, that Ukraine uh, be defeated and occupied by Russians and uh, their, their delegates. Well, for us as Christians, the biggest thing that is at risk is the Ukrainian church, which is a jewel, I would say, in the crown of the evangelical movements in all of Europe. A very missionary sending. They have a lot of missionaries in the former Soviet republics. They're very gifted in language. The churches are very lively. They're very large. The largest mess- true messianic churches, churches composed of converted Jews, are in Ukraine, not in the United States. And there they have some very, very large churches and very missions-minded churches, both messianic and non. And so what is at risk? Well, here in this, this we had this uh, camp in uh, this facility called the Tavrysky Christian Institute. And here is uh, one of uh, two huge dunes that exist in Europe. This is because of an ecological disaster that dates back to Soviet Union. But nevertheless, we had fun visiting this area. These are all mostly Ukrainians with a few French people mixed in and a few uh, people from Western Sahara and in North Africa. And uh, so anyway, these are the facilities. These are one of our team that, uh, for this, these French camps. And so happens that it, Herson was one of the places that was occupied by Russians. And then, uh, then it was... Um, uh, taken back by Ukrainians just a couple months ago, but now the Russians on the other side uh, of the river Dnieper River are l- launching alt- artillery and have basically destroyed one more Ukrainian city and this institute was destroyed just as the Russian uh, soldiers who were who had occupied the Tversky Christian Institute were leaving forced to leave uh, they destroyed everything the library uh, a new classroom building, it's just in tatters. And uh, it, uh, this church has moved to another city in western Ukraine. I was able to visit the leaders just recently in Ukraine, uh, and they're temporarily set up in uh, in western Ukraine. But I ask you to pray for these faces of people you see, uh, many of them now who are spread out in places they never intended to go from United Kingdom, to Poland, to Germany, to Canada, to the United States, to France, to Spain, and to Portugal. That's where most of these Ukrainian refugees are to this day. The next slide. Uh, Jeannie. These
1: are just a few pictures of our local church. And like I said, it's a very small Baptist church, which on a good Sunday maybe has 40 people attending. But it is probably the most unique and um, Integrated church, churches we've ever been to uh, in all of our years in Europe. We have a congregation that's basically mixed up of outsiders. We've got uh, refugees from Cameroon. We've got people. We've got a lady from Nigeria. We have a Cameroonian. Um, we have a Swiss. We're American. There's this gal right here, Mary Beth, is from Scotland. Uh, we have Spaniards. We have Laotians. I mean, it is a, a, there's a few French people few French people sprinkled in just for good measure, but yeah, it's just a very, very unique kind of a church. And we found a warm welcome right away when we moved down there almost five years ago. Um, we got involved in the music, in the worship. Uh, I play flute, Ben plays guitar, we both sing. Um, we were in, we had a home group in our home right here. This is on the back, in the backyard of, of our, our little rental house. Uh, We had the joy of seeing people baptized. Um, There was a Laotian family. Their two oldest kids were baptized. We had a Ukrainian refugee family that were there from before Russia invaded Ukraine and started to come to our church. Both of their young adults were baptized as well during our time. Fun fact, our pastor bought an old apartment that hadn't been touched since the 60s, and he has been spent the last few years trying to renovate it on his own. Well, he ended up living with us for a year and a half. So he's single. He's single. And this is Mikael right here. OK, so he's our single pastor. So that was a unique kind of blessing, I think, that he found and that we found. Um, and we became very, very dear friends, and we're really happy to share our home with him. Probably our closest friends are half our age, Uh, Ludo, who is French, and Marybeth, who is Scottish, and uh, their friend group just included us and all their activities introduced us us to the area, and just we just felt so, so welcomed and um, and just it was just a really really blessed time, very unique time, and I think all of the years that we've spent in Europe. Next slide. Our church has become kind of a hub now for welcoming Ukrainian refugees. Um, We have a long-standing friendship and relationship with a professor from a university in Kiev, Natalia and uh, with whom Ben uh, did many, many um, outreach French camps uh, with her, the kids, her students from her class. And so when the war started, they reached out to us immediately and said, can, can we come to France? Can you help us come to France with her two youngest daughters? And so Natalia and her two youngest girls came and they also lived with us for four months. Our pastor had to leave. They came in and they lived with us for four months until we could get them more permanent housing. But our church, because of the involvement of Natalia and Hutu girls, other refugee families or couples came as well. There's another couple, Victor and Olga, who have a uh, young adult handicapped son. They also arrived and were taken in by our church. And then the other Ukrainian family that was already there has really been a tremendous help for them. And other people have come through the doors. As the war started, as you know, there was this huge exodus of women and children and elderly people out of Ukraine. And so they came all the way through Western Europe, some through Poland, through Germany, down into France, and then going into Spain and to Portugal. And our city of Perpignan hosted busloads of Ukrainians. And then the city provided homes, housing, uh, money, papers, temporary visas, all those sort of things to help these Ukrainian people. The Ukrainians are like us. That's how the Europeans feel. They are like us, they are Christian. They have a long history, they are European. Why wouldn't we provide homes for them? And so our church has been just hugely blessed by these Ukrainian believers who are very strong believers who have come in and really galvanized them to look outside their own four walls and to look to see the needs that there are in their city, not just for Ukrainians, but for other people too. And we were very, very touched by the four months that Natalia and her girls lived with us. Every night they had a prayer meeting with their church via Zoom, their large church in Kiev, where Natalia's husband is a head elder and very instrumental in, the, in helping um, the internal refugees in that city. And we could hear them praying. The weeping that went on in our house was just unbearable. But it was so moving. And it just spurred us on to greater faith Uh, in the midst of tremendous sorrow and persecution and heartache to see how the Lord blessed these people and used them to. Spiritually motivate our own little church and churches throughout Europe who have taken in these refugees, these Christian Ukrainians. It's just been incredible to see how they have grown and uh, reached out to others through this, this tragedy which is ongoing.
0: Next slide. Yeah, uh, yes, FSF, our nonprofit organization, has also been involved in helping refugees come not only. To churches, we try to get them all connected with churches, whether they're believers or not. Uh, But also in uh, in different in in different cities of Ukraine, and they have brought blessing. They get up, they get into the newspapers, the local newspapers. They want to interview these refugees, and to find out what kind of experience. And here, Ina, who's uh, this is her right here. She uh, is was a French teacher, and she also works for a French company in Ukraine. These are her two of her children, and this is her mother. And we helped them come to France. They had attended n- numerous of our camps in France. She's not a believer yet, uh, but she's extremely open. And so here in this newspaper article, Ina, a Ukrainian refugee, this is a quotation: uh, "The the more that we uh, distance ourselves from Kiev as they were leaving uh, Ukraine, uh, the, the, the more we cried." That was her sort of summary of their experience. And so she's going to be going back and her children uh, to our camp in Romania, and then she and her daughter are going to ca- cross the border into Ukraine to go see her husband uh, in Kiev. The son, who is now 17 years old, if he crosses, he cannot come back out. He will be conscripted, and he's not ready for that. So we're, I'm going to take care of him, uh, Andre this summer. Uh, these, this is a group from a church in Kiev, uh, this is the church of our uh, Natalia, who is the French professor, whose husband is a deacon of a very large and dynamic church in Kiev. And so um, uh, these are all members of that church that are now being uh, uh, hosted in, uh, in Alsace, which is in uh, eastern, eastern France near the German border. I could tell you stories about each of these people. I don't have time this morning, but just pray for these faces as you see them. Shall we go to the next slide? Uh, This is the church uh, called the Philadelphia Church, and Natalia's husband and Natalia have been involved in this church in addition to being a French professor in a very large university, which is our primary partners in Kiev. They're also part of a very dynamic church which belongs to a group of churches in Ukraine that are involved in, in helping internal refugees from all over Ukraine beginning in 2014 with the occupation of Crimea. And so, this church is an incredible church. Most of their members have gone to western Ukraine or to other countries. All of them have been replaced with mostly new converts. They have baptisms every Sunday in, in Kiev, and, uh, which they now call Kiev, because that's Ukrainian pronunciation. They're not pronouncing anything with a, in the Russian way anymore, Kiev. So it's now Kiev. And so... This is this church. I've been in this church many times over the last years. We have sent vehicles and all kinds of supplies and medications. They also helped evacuate handicapped people from Bucha, if you remember the name Bucha, which is a suburb of Kiev that was razed to the ground. And they had a church or the sister church there. And so they were very much involved in helping these people get out of the worst affected areas. Next. So I would invite you to pray for all of these things that I've shared with you this morning. This is an ongoing conflict, and uh, as I've often said, uh, Russia cannot win because the consequences are too great for Europe and the world. Not to speak of the consequences for evangelical Christianity. Wherever Russia has occupied Ukraine and and parts of other countries, Crimea and now the Donbass since 2014, uh, this is what happens. We'll go to the, uh, I think it's on the next slide. Uh, occupied Ukraine, religious leaders seized, tortured, churches, mosques are closed, no news of seized Baptist couple. This is still ongoing. This is from last year. I don't think I have the next slide, um, Is another, a more recent report from this organization called Forum 18. You can find that on the internet. It's in English, it's a, a Norwegian publication that monitors persecution of believers of of any faith, uh, mostly in Europe and and in Russia. Next uh, slide. Yes, Uh, we would invite you also to pray for our France, uh, where we have worked, we have helped with churches getting planted in France, now training uh, believers and in getting churches involved in world mission. But this is a challenge, as you see right there. Separatist law um, uh, and uh, church surveillance... You wonder, what is going on here? Well, it is mostly to surveil uh, mosques where there are radical preachers that come in from other countries. Most of them do not speak French. And they're calling for a holy jihad. Now, not all of them are by any means. I'd say most of the Muslims that we know in France are, are peaceable people. They're not seeking, they're not the idea that oftentimes we make of them. Many of them are very open to the gospel, too. Uh, But uh, this law was passed basically for for Muslim radicalism in France, but they have to apply it equally to everyone. And what does this mean? Well, this means that if churches were to say the wrong things, uh, perhaps the unpolitically correct things, if it's heard, and it can be heard by representatives of the local government, then churches under this new law could be closed, uh, and pastors could be fined and imprisoned, and uh, missionaries, foreign missionaries who are working in France could be expelled if they don't meet a host of requirements or if they preach something that is not approved by the government. So as you can imagine, this is very, very dangerous. On the one hand, we can understand the context, what's going on here. How is this going to be applied by government officials? That is the big question. But the French have taken this in the stride, the French evangelicals. They're praying, they're believing, they're continuing to evangelize. Uh, perhaps in a more careful way now, but uh, would ask you to pray for our churches. And I think we... um, Jeannie, do you want to...
1: So this is a quote from a a missionary martyr, a modern missionary martyr, uh, murdered in Iraq. So, the missionary heart cares more than some think is wise, risks more than some think is safe, dreams more than some think is practical, and expects more than some think is possible. Um, All that to say that nothing is impossible with God. And we have found that to be true over these 39 years that we have worked in Europe. Um, We've had a lot of ideas. Bent is a fountain of ideas (laughs) and innovation. And sometimes I've looked at him and went, wow, where did that come from? Is this really going to work? But um, I think the Lord gives wisdom. He gives gifts. He gives talents. And he inspires people to do different things for him. And that has really been our experience over these many, many years. Next slide. You probably are wondering, well, what about our family? We have four kids. Like I said, in 1984, we went with an eight-month-old baby to Belgium. And at the end of 1989, we had two more that had arrived, Eric and Laura. And in 1991, our youngest daughter, Rachel, was born after we moved to Brussels. So two boys, two girls, our oldest son, Joel, right there with his wife Stephanie of four children and Joel is career military. He's a major in the U.S. Army and he's lived overseas more than he's lived in the U.S. He's currently in Washington D.C. going through a career course because he's going to be the Army attache at the U.S. Embassy in Paris starting in August. So we are delighted and thrilled. They have four kids um, who will all be in French school except for the youngest and learning French for the first time and so We're excited to see how that is going to go uh, for them. Our next son, Eric, uh, is the only one that lives on the West Coast. He lives, he, after 10 years in Chicago, he moved back to my hometown of Turlock, California, which is in the San Joaquin Valley, and he lives surrounded by all of my mom's family and relatives and just love it. Eric is still single, and he's just gotten a new job, works for um, a company which is, overseen by the Department of Transportation, called Freightliner. And so he's going up and down the valley with trucks and parts and what have you. Um, But he's a great guy. Then our third child, Laura, and unfortunately we don't have a picture of her, we just have a picture of her children. They also have four kids, and uh, we actually share a home with them in Monument, Colorado. They moved out to Colorado right after the pandemic uh, two years ago in July. And um, had they had a COVID baby <laughs> who was born, little Gemma.
0: Not a baby with COVID. No,
1: no, 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 no. Baby COVID. born during COVID. <laughs> we actually had two COVID grandchildren. Um, and uh, so we have been living with them during this year of home assignment. And uh, that has gone really, really well. And we're, we're so privileged to be able to live with at least some of our grandchildren. Uh, Ryan is an IT engineer. And Laura is a stay-at-home mom and involved in all kinds of stuff. And then our youngest daughter, Rachel, had a COVID wedding in September of 2020, and she married Tim McDonald, uh, who is an MK from Honduras. And so he has a Honduran and an American passport and speaks Spanish. Um, he's also an IT engineer, and um, but his passion is Scottish Baroque fiddling. And so they live in Edinburgh, Scotland, where he has finished a master's degree and is hoping to do further schooling, but is presently working with his IT company, which is based in San Francisco. Ironically enough, he and our son-in-law, Ryan, work for the same company, but live in completely different parts of
0: the world. He's now sailing around the Orkney Islands, north of Scotland, with a Scottish band, and at every port, they're on a sailboat at every port, they're doing a concert and Scottish dances.
1: He is a unique individual, but we just love him to death. And uh, Rachel is a um, pediatric nurse, but unfortunately there's not reciprocity with the UK, so she can't work uh, there. So all of our kids, we just praise the Lord by his grace and mercy. They are all believers. They all love the Lord. They're all involved in their local churches. And uh, we just have great times when when we are able to get together, which isn't too often.
0: Last slide, and I think uh, Dave yes. is going to come up. There, we appreciate you praying. I think Dave is going to pray for us at this time. Dear friends of ours that we've seen in Europe many times, and with whom we've stayed many times when we've come to to Dallas.
2: So much for prepared prayer. Uh, This update was much more. uh, I'm much more caught up. Let me put it that way. But I still want to have. We'll manage this. Lord, uh, change is just part of life, and uh, even this morning, as we've uh, come into the worship, you uh, change has been part of our our morning. But we thank you. We thank you that here in this church and in this church and others are how you are going to reach the world through your people. And I thank you again for years ago, so many years ago, forty years ago, that you called Ben and Jean to be part of what you wanted. To to do in this world. And you still today uh, work through them as they obey you in your grace, and your grace which reaches out that many may know you, Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you've called and sent to be with us and to call the world to yourself. Thank you for watching over them. Thank you for protecting them. We just saw a brief glimpse of 40 years. And we pray that you will protect them in the future as they they go out, as they minister in your name, in many, many different ways, as we've seen. Thank you that we have had the opportunity this morning to hear of your faithfulness, to be part of your faithfulness to them, allowing us here, people right here, in, this, in our midst, each other, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to join Ben and Jean in their ministry over these years and now on into the future. Whether it was through financial support and prayer, and for some work teams who uh, went over years ago, even as we praise you, Lord, for what you have done, we pray this morning that you will go before them, guide them, and protect them as they continue in ministry, and and their life is truly an adventure in the part of the world where they are ministering now, in ways that are new ways that uh, have caused people to move all over the world. And we ask you that no matter where they are, where they are ministering, you will prepare the hearts of those who will learn of you through their lives and their ministry. And Father, this morning, as we send Ben and Jeannie out, we ask that you would just watch over them. We send them out in your name, Jesus. That's that's what we are called to do. But I pray that as we have experienced this together, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as people of my age and young people. Uh, And those in between, Lord, we ask that you would challenge each of us who has called upon Jesus as Savior and Lord to consider what you can do through what you will accomplish through the life of your people when they are committed to follow and to serve and obey you. Again, I want to pray your blessing on Ben and Jeannie as they go. Again, we send them out in your name, Jesus. You alone know what lies ahead. We thank you again for the protection that you provided over all these years and our ability to participate in their ministry. May they daily experience your presence as they return to France and places unknown. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Lord for who you are, and who we are, because of you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.